What's up, Mzanzi, and welcome to episode 300 of Farmers Inside Jack. I'm your host, Octavius Pandil. With Africa being one of the largest producers of cannabis globally, there's a window of opportunity for African countries to export cannabis to the rest of the world. But exporting cannabis is a complex and highly regulated process, and it's essential for farmers to be well-informed and compliant with the laws and regulations in, of course, both the home country and the destination country. Shard Vayage, CEO of Only Farms and attorney at Cullinan & Associates, says some key things that farmers should know about exporting cannabis. Shard Vayage, welcome to Farmers Inside Jack. Thank you very much for having me, Octavia. So according to the UN, the global cannabis industry is expected to be worth $57 billion by 2027 and export of cannabis from Africa is poised to become a major player in this rapidly growing market. Can you share with us where is South Africa on the list of growing market specifically for the export on cannabis? South Africa is poised to be one of the global leaders in cannabis cultivation or export. When we're talking about cannabis, there are different sides to it. There's industrial cannabis and there's medical cannabis. And of course, there's recreational cannabis, but that is a more sort of uncertain value proposition internationally. When we're looking at, let's just say, for instance, medical cannabis export to Europe, currently we only supply 3.8% of the total European demand for medical cannabis. But the capacity that we have, the quality of other cannabis coming out of South Africa, the innovation that's happening here, the comparatively lower cost of labor, as well as the incredibly strong sunshine that we have here, makes South Africa an ideal destination for export around the world. Let's dive into the legalities. What should farmers expect or know about the import and export compliance regulations? Let's start at where cannabis is. So for context, and quite paradoxically, cannabis is a whole plant in any portion thereof remains listed as an undesirable dependence-producing substance under Part 3 of Schedule 2 of the Drugs and Drugs Trafficking Act. So this means that it's still illegal to buy and sell or otherwise deal in cannabis, but subject to certain exceptions. So there's three broad classes of de facto exceptions to this prohibition. The first is the Medicines Act, which in short allows the South African Health Product Regulatory Authority, SAPRA, to issue permits for cultivation, import, export, testing, packaging, transport, and distribution of medical cannabis under Section 22C. That's the one side of the market. That's your uh, cannabis cultivation facilities and they're producing under GACP or GMP, which is good manufacturing practice. It's held to a high standard. Then the second side of it is what's also known as hemp. So the second is regulated under the Plant Improvement Act and the frameworks thereunder. In terms of which the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, or TELRAD, has begun issuing hemp permits for the cultivation, processing, transport and sale of low THC cannabis for industrial purposes. So bear in mind that the Plant Improvement Framework isn't mentioned as an exception to the Drugs Act, but can be seen as an exception to the Medicines Act. Safe to say that there are permits that are being issued right now for hemp cultivation and that's open field large-scale cultivation of industrial cannabis and for industrial purposes, as well as your indoor or greenhouse high THC and THC being the active cannabinoid, as well as CBD for the medical market. The medical cannabis side is a sort of very expensive to get into the market side of things. You need to have a cannabis um, cultivation facility set out that needs to be capable of being audited by SAPRA, as well as an offtake agreement to ensure that the cannabis that is grown has a destination and it doesn't end up uh, deviating onto the black market, which would be a severe criminal offence. And there are a number of standards that are applicable both in South Africa and globally. For instance, Israel uses the CUM standard. The EU Europe uses EU GMP, which is different to local GMP in, in South Africa. And there are other standards applicable to different territories or countries, like, for instance, Australia 
They have their therapeutic goods authority, which must come out and audit. So that is quite expensive exercise, so to speak. The facilities that are in South Africa, I think there's an excess of 80 of those licenses that have been issued. There is significant demand and increasing demand, especially now coming from Australia and Israel for South African cannabis. On the other side of things, the hemp permit side, it's not as expensive to obtain that license. There are certain license criteria. Things like fencing have been relaxed, but there are audit requirements, reporting requirements, testing requirements on the cannabis itself, as well as the main requirement being that the cultivar that you are growing must not exceed 0.2% THC, which is particularly difficult to do under the South African climate, purely because of the incredible UV that we have out here. Certain land races are adapted to the South African environment. However, that is being looked at quite closely by government. They are looking to amend that. It is just simply a matter of time. Other countries in Southern Africa have already amended their THC threshold for industrial outdoor cannabis. For instance, Malawi is sitting at 3% and we're at 02 can kind of see the disparity there. You actually answered my next question, which was about licensing and permits. But maybe can we delve into the potential costs of what it looks like for these different licenses? The license that's required for your high THC cannabis and or high cannabinoid cannabis is what I like to call it because there's high THC as well as high CBD is Section 22C license in terms of the Medicines and Related Substances Act. So that's something that's suppressed the issue and the costing behind that, while the license itself is not that expensive, it's not that expensive, less than 20000 if I'm not mistaken, around 25000 But like I said earlier, you have to have set out a full cultivation facility that's capable of being audited by SAPRA which means you have had to have expended that capital initially. It's a bit of a chicken and egg situation when it comes to you know, how do you access that finance because who's going to give you that money without you having a license and an offtake? And alternatively, on the other side of things, you know, you can't get a license and an off. Who's going to give you an offtake without a facility? There's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation on that side. There are facilities that have been put up right all around the country. If you take a look at onlyfarms.app, you can see some of the facilities that we work with. We work with about 25 licensed cultivators. And these also include your hemp cultivators. The hemp cultivation permit is actually quite significantly cheaper. It's around 700 rand if uh, when last I checked. However, you are limited to what you can grow and what you can do with what you grow. So obviously that's not for human consumption, that's for industrial purposes. So whether it's biomass, seed and low THC flower is also being looked at quite closely. Charlotte, let's jump into the quality of cannabis. Is that actually a thing? Should it meet a certain standard internationally? Just a little bit more about that. The quality of cannabis is absolutely a thing. Quality is a very broad question. So what it depends on what demand pathway you're trying to satisfy. If you're looking at a smokable THC flower overseas, yes, there's pretty high quality standards. You have certificates of analysis. Buyers have their sort of specs that they're looking for. So how Only Farms works is we allow buyers to list their contracts as well as their specs or whether it's above 25% THC and, uh, you know, zero aflatoxins or various other sort of zero heavy metals or other specifications. And our farmers that are listed on our platform are able to bid towards those contracts. We put buyer direct contact with supplier and we facilitate those negotiations, whether it's an offtake agreement for the term. And we're trying to standardize that process as well as offtake agreements have been notoriously gray type of contracts in the past and not always to the benefit of the farm at the end of the day. So quality and quality control is, is incredibly significant, especially when it comes to medical cannabis. Obviously, medical cannabis is an entirely different story. That You have quality assurance staff, you have quality control procedures, you have uh, standard operating procedures that are in line with good manufacturing practice. There are several tests that you have to run. Quality is everything when it comes to the medical cannabis, especially the smokable flower side. I mean, when you're farming for biomass, you're not really looking at the quality of, of the flower. 
However, farming for biomass isn't necessarily the most profitable thing. And more often than not, I mean, the, the going market price or buying price in South Africa per ton is around 1,500 rand per ton for hemp biomass. So that gives you an example of uh, whereas on medical cannabis flower, you're looking at around 40 rand a gram international export price. So, you know, the, the markets are entirely different. Quality in, is relevant to what you're trying to satisfy on the supply side. And then if you look at seed to make plant-based milk, seed, hemp seed oil, or a variety of other sort of demand pathways on that side, it is very much quality is a consideration at the end of the day for all products across the market. How important is market research and understanding the market you are supplying into? I would say that's essential. It's something that you should do before you even begin the process of, of applying for licenses or constructing um, or planting or anything like that. What many people in South Africa have done is they've, they've jumped headfirst into the cannabis industry, put up the capital and run down that road. And where we're currently sitting at is that there's quite a glut of supply in South Africa. Many farmers, especially on the medical cannabis flower side of things, aren't moving it overseas as fast as they thought they would. Not to say that it's a lack of market research, but it's also a factor of where the industry is at globally, as well as the standards that are required by foreign authorities, which South Africans need to meet. Not to say that we haven't been meeting those standards, but market research, you know, knowing what your in-destination market requires is quite important. As well as if you're going to spread it out amongst multiple countries, you have to look at what are the cultivars and strains that are most in demand, which are able to be moved, what which strain and so forth are going to produce, which cannabinoid that I'm focusing on, whether it be high THC, high CBD, high terpene levels within these plants, you know, that, that kind of thing. So absolutely essential. I recommend consulting with guys who are in the market who are dealing with buyers such as ourselves who do know what the demand is on, on what side and where to hit from there. And what about export logistics? Should farmers or exporters have a logistic plan in place for cannabis exportation? When it comes to medical cannabis, the logistics service provider needs to be legally capable of transporting these scheduled substances. So, and I'll go into the scheduling now of THC and CBD, but they will also require a Section 22C in order to transport, let's say, internally within South Africa. On the other side of things, there are international service providers, uh, Skynet, DSV, for instance, which are used for exporting medical cannabis around the world. Often the buyers themselves also specify which logistics partner they would prefer to be used. There are certain requirements depending on the territory of where you're sending it to, what is required you know, from a packaging standpoint, from a labeling standpoint, and just a transport and logistics standpoint. On the industrial cannabis side, it actually is a very different question. It's not necessarily about standard and licensing of the logistics service provider, but rather the distance at which you travel. And as many farmers will know, putting biomass on a truck, any biomass orientated project is primarily a logistics project because you're dealing with something that's so cheap. Is it worthwhile the diesel to travel so far or not? And then you have an operable range from your facility that's essential to centralize your operations or your cultivation operations around a facility that is going to be transported to if you're going to do primary or secondary processing. And what about financing support? Is there such for cannabis exports? Like I mentioned earlier, um, hemp is an uncertain thing at the moment, simply because, unfortunately, cannabis is still contained in the Drugs Act, and the Drugs Act makes no reference to the Plant Improvement Act. So what that means is that development finance and finance houses are uncertain of whether they can and want to actually start funding these large-scale operations. However, in June this year, we had a cannabis pakisa, which is the which is a meeting of various role players in government as to how we take the cannabis industry forward. And there is significant and increasing support behind farmers who are, from a rural standpoint, in cultivating outdoor cannabis, 
as well as funding existing ventures. So like I said before, you know, it's a chicken and an egg situation if you're looking to get financing before you set out your facility. However, afterwards, once you have a running operation, it is essentially funding a pharmaceutical manufacturing business, and this is on the medical flower. So there is the traditional methods of financing available, you know, hybrid debt equity and so forth. And yeah, there are mechanisms available, but when it comes to the outdoor little cultivator, it is essential that the cultivation operation is syndicated and connected to existing operations or an existing supply chain, whether it be your primary processing or secondary processing, what you're going to process that into and having off takes, that justifies your ability to get finance. And that's something that only farms assists with. I mean, we syndicate projects across the board. We connect farmers to processes and processes to buyers and buyers across the entire supply chain, as well as other agricultural role players. So whether it's GMP services, whether it's machines and equipment that is required, we have a marketplace on the side which allows that. And that's really where we're trying to go with it. We're trying to create catalytic bankable projects. That's really the direction we're trying to head in. And finally, branding and marketing. What is your advice to a farmer who's thinking about exporting and commercializing their farm specifically? How important is branding and marketing? So it depends on which side you're looking at. On the medical side, there are legislative requirements for what branding can take place. Branding and marketing is essential to any business. So if you're looking at targeting a specific set of buyers on the medicinal and on the industrial side, you want to showcase your product and what your capabilities are and your compliance criteria or your compliance with existing regulatory requirements. And we at Only Farms, we noticed that wasn't exactly taking place as uniformly as many of the buyers require. So what we've done is we allow the farmer to list their farm on our platform. We ask for specific pictures, we ask for specific documents, and we make available this data once obviously an NDA is signed with the prospective buyer, but we essentially create a farmer profile for the farmers that way, we can update buyers as the transaction proceeds, as, as the quality of what's being produced is determined and create a track record for these farmers. So essentially, we're building their brand for them and we're doing the marketing for them. Thanks, Shard Vayaj, CEO of Only Farms and attorney at Cullinan and Associates. For more on the topic, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And this week, we celebrate hashtag soil sister, Rotella Roda, after the loss of her father in 2021, she faced numerous challenges. Now, Kuchatela shares a journey of empowerment, resilience, and learning as she continues her father's legacy with grace. The biggest challenge was between me and my brother because now we had to find a fit. We had to find, let me say, our departments within the business because remember now it was dad who was now there main leader and we were just under him and we never had big roles and when he departed because it was sudden it was not like he was sick and he had prepared us with this and that it was sudden and it was very difficult for us to work together we fought a lot and I guess because of my name Kotlalo means patience and I had to be the one with more patience because you know how men they deal with grief differently women you would talk about it. He didn't want to talk about anything. He just wanted to carry everything. And him carrying everything, I could see him pulling us down because he would not communicate. He would just tell you, I'm doing this. There was a lot of disconnection, let me say that. But through talking to different women, talking to people, because I actually slipped into depression and I had to find my strength. My mom was very strong, hey? She's been a pillar. I don't want to lie. I don't know how she does it. 
she managed to gather her strength and she pulled us with my brother together. And now you're able to say, okay, we are here. Kufatelo Roda is one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the 2023 Hashtag Soul program. Catch a full interview on www.foodformzanzi.co.za and on Food from Zanzi's YouTube channel. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. From me, Octavius Pandil, our technical producer, Megan van der Fink, and the rest of Hashtag Food from Zanzi. Thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.